A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is the show where we discuss the mucky business of being a Christian in politics. You might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and you would, of course, be right. But then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think Christians should be involved in politics and praying for their brothers and sisters who are in politics in an informed way. Every now and again, we like to have someone on the show who is not a politician, but from a different mucky business, and to give us an insight into politics that only an outsider could bring. Today, we are talking about uncertainty about coronavirus, the future of our country, and where politics might be headed, and how political uncertainty actually points us to the gospel. Our guest knows a thing or two about uncertainty. Jeremy Marshall is a Christian and was the CEO of elite private bank, Seahore & Co, managing the money of the incredibly wealthy. But after navigating the unpredictable years, the recession and various government economic policies, he was told that he had cancer and had only 18 months to live. That was six years ago, and he has since acquired the Christian bank, Kingdom Bank, and gives talks around the country about the certainty that Jesus can offer when nothing else can be depended upon. Before we speak to Jeremy, Cara Bentley has a roundup of some of the news this week. Well, it's a bit of a confusing week where we've got stories about society unlocking and simultaneously stories speculating that we might have to have localised lockdowns again because of the Indian variant. So the main news is that some of the most significant social restrictions have now been lifted with hugging and meeting inside now allowed. Travelling abroad without quarantining on return is now permitted for people who live in England, Scotland and Wales going to any countries on the green list, which meant loads of journalists found themselves all on the same plane to Portugal, vox-popping each other. But the big date that looms in England is the 21st of June, which is the date where pretty much all restrictions are meant to evaporate. But it now seems like that might not happen for everybody. Northern Ireland is also planning to make similar changes to open pubs and theatres within a week. But in the meantime, the Democratic Unionist Party has assigned a new leader. Edwin Poots will replace Arlene Foster after he beat Sir Geoffrey Donaldson by 19 votes to 17, although he does not want to be First Minister, so they'll have to find someone else to do that role. But Tim, the international story that's been on everyone's minds is the violence in Jerusalem and Gaza. How do you think Christians should respond? Well, Cara, over the last week, the violence in Israel and Palestine has escalated to a level not seen for many years. Innocent civilians on both sides have died, and there has been disruption to health services, access to clean water and to food supplies. The politics of the region is, of course, immensely complex, and reactions to these issues have been a defining matter in British politics. Some will say that the UK government would not remain on such good terms with any other country that has reacted in the way that the Israeli leadership has, while others would say that Israel is the only liberal democracy in the region and has a better human rights record than most of the countries who are criticising it. When you read reports about the conflict, you will come across place names that ring a bell. They ring a bell because they're mentioned in the Bible. This can heighten our sensitivities. It can make people think that we should react to this conflict differently than we would if this violence was happening elsewhere. I hardly need to say that Christians don't all agree completely on the role of Israel in God's future plans. I think we can agree on one thing, though, and that is that God loves all of the people involved. He has compassion on those who suffer, and he is not neutral 
about the wrongs of those who act with violence without justice. Christians should cry out to God because people are suffering and dying. Every single person in Gaza and Jerusalem is made in his image. They are each fearfully and wonderfully made. So we should pray earnestly and passionately to God, knowing he cares for everyone in Israel and Palestine and knowing that he is sovereign and all powerful. I would suggest that we pray for an end to fighting, for a ceasefire. Give thanks for the Egyptian government for their efforts to broker a peace deal between Israel and the Palestinians. Ask that God would raise up men and women of peace on both sides. Pray also for wisdom for world leaders, that their interventions would lead to a de-escalation, that the historic friends of each of the two sides would urge their ally to show restraint. Above all, let us pray for the vulnerable, those people whose lives and well-being are at risk, those who have been bereaved that they would be protected, comforted and provided for. And let's pray for Christians in the region to be a powerful witness to the unifying, saving power of the gospel. Middle East politics has a habit of flushing British politicians into tribes. It's fine to have alternative views over the future of the region, but let's make sure that our language and our attitudes are seasoned with grace towards the other side and compassion for all who suffer. Let us also be humble and submit this most thorny of issues to God, remembering Colossians 1, 16 and 17, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. As we cry out for his intervention, let's remember that he is sovereign. We cannot know every detail of his plan, but he has promised us a future where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And he keeps his promises. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. This week on the show, our guest is Jeremy Marshall. He went from being the head of the oldest private bank in the UK to giving his testimony publicly to audiences across the country after a diagnosis of cancer made him realise what was most important. Jeremy, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Tell us first, if you wouldn't mind, how did you become a Christian? Sure, Tim. I, thanks so much for having me on. I, I grew up in a, in a very strongly Christian family, um, and I would say I became a Christian as a teenager when I met Jesus Christ. Um, by that, I don't mean something supernatural. I'm, I'm not a religious person by nature. I'm a banker, right? But um, I realized that the Christian faith was true and that you could know Jesus Christ. Um, my childhood was somewhat um, eccentric, I would say, in that my father used to take us um, every summer Bible smuggling behind the Iron Curtain. So when most people went to uh, the Lake District, we went to uh, the USSR. And that was kind of also, I think, a factor in becoming a Christian because you could see these people there. They had every possible reason um, not to believe. They were under tremendous pressure, um, but yet they had this really vibrant living faith. Yeah, it must be a really important thing, Christian faith, if you're prepared to go through that in order to cling to it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in, in, in the, some of the countries were more um, repressive than others, but especially in the USSR and Romania, you'd have the secret police outside the church service. And um, if you're a young person, they take your name and you couldn't get a job. You couldn't go to university. Um, you couldn't often even find anywhere to live. 
And uh, if you're a pastor, then uh, you might well end up in the Gulag Archipelago. So the mm. people were living in fear, real fear, a, a fear of persecution, a, a very valid fear, if you like, of, of being persecuted, being imprisoned. But yet they, despite that, or maybe because of it, they had a tremendous living faith. It was like being in the book of Acts, I would say, Tim. Mm. So if we fast forward um, quite a bit, you, you, you become a Christian, uh, you end up in the world of banking, and you become the chief executive officer of C. Hall & Co. Um, tell me what that was like and how you managed to live out your Christian faith in that kind of a role, helping people manage their money from extremely wealthy backgrounds. Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, it, it, I would say at the end of my career at Seahorn Co, that was relatively easy because that was such a great place to, to work. Mm. Um, that was banking as it used to be, uh, but still owned by the same family and the family have a, have, have a motto, which is treat the customer as you would wish to be treated, which is like the banking version of love your neighbor as you love yourself. So that for me as CEO was pretty easy. But um, I think what we could say about banking more generally before I worked for Seahor & Co. was that um, banks had certainly lost that. In the 19th century, banks were known as forces for good. Ian Hislop, the editor of Private Eye, did a TV show a couple of years ago called When Bankers Were Good. So in the 19th century, bankers gave money away. They were passionate about philanthropy. But we've we've lost that. And I guess a big factor would be, um, which I remember, Tim, the, the, the big bang which in some ways was, was a good thing. It unleashed, you know, um, com competition. And I'm not saying the old city was, was, was perfect, not at all. But if you just make money the central object, if you make greed the central force, then over time, as indeed happened, don't be surprised if you end up with something like 2008. Mm. So I, I think in banking, we need to rediscover the, the Christian roots, actually, of banking. Most of the banks in the 18th and 19th century were, were nonconformist, Quakers mm. often. Um, because they were excluded from the from the professions and um, that they, they were locally rooted. That's another thing that we've lost. You get these massive, you know, enormous um, multinational banks. Obviously, there's a place for large banks, but also must be a place for small banks, for uh, banks rooted in their community, for banks serving um, ordinary men and women who pooling savings together. And in fact, we used to have hundreds of banks like that. They were called building societies. But again, the same kind of Thatcherite deregulation swept them all away. I hope now we can rediscover that. I hope now we can get back to that local small banking. Small is beautiful is a good is a good saying. Mm. Obviously, the title of this podcast is that you know we're a, it's a mucky business and we think of politics being a mucky business. And I think many people would think banking is the same. And yet you rightly point out that the roots of banking in the UK and probably elsewhere um, come from a you know very very ethical place and from a specifically Christian place. So do you feel that um, the future going forward um, may well mean that um, Christians working in banking can re-anchor uh, the industry back alongside those early moral ethical guidelines? I very much hope so, Tim. And one small thing, you know, I and a group of friends and stewardship, which as many people will know, is a large um, Christian charity promoting giving. Um, about a year ago, we, we bought a Christian bank actually called Kingdom Bank. Um, it wasn't our idea. It was set up 60 years ago by the Assemblies of God. And um, these brothers and sisters felt they'd you know, reached the end of the road and it was time for a new owner. So we, we bought it. And what it does is... Um, 
simply like a Christian building society. It takes in deposits um, from anybody, particularly Christians, but anyone can open an account. And then it lends money out to, to churches, growing, expanding churches, churches for their buildings, churches um, for, for housing, maybe for the pastor, for the youth worker, and also um, to the extent we've got capacity, things beyond that, uh, disabled housing, for example. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, we, we, I don't think HSBC is sleepless at night because of our threat. <laughs> We're very small, but um, we believe passionately that um, anything you do in, in business can be for the glory of God. The mm. goal, the explicit goal of Kingdom Bank, Tim, is the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't think you can go too far wrong if that's your, if that's your goal. Absolutely. I, mean, I just want to take you back a little bit to the, the financial crash, because I think for everybody, that was a time um, of of great stress and uh, and uncertainty. Um, what was it like to be a, a Christian um, in the banking industry at that time? What was your faith like? Well, actually, uh, with perfect timing, Tim, right in the middle of it, I left one, one bank and ended up at another one, right? So what was that like? It was, it was fearful, I would say. Yeah, fearful that, you know, I personally wouldn't have a job and fearful also that the whole industry would come, would come crashing down. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in times like that, you've got to think, well, where's my hope? Is my hope in the banking system? Is my hope in my job? No, our hope is in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But that's, that's quite hard when you're in the middle of a, of a situation like that. Um, fear can come in many forms, but fear is real. And um, I, I found in my life that at the times of, of the greatest fear, of the greatest threat, that's when that's when we, we we're driven to God, right? When, when other things are removed, that's when we that's when we find out that what we really need is Christ. I love Corrie Ten Boom's quote. Um, you know, she was in a concentration camp, and when she was there, she said. I only realized Christ was all I needed when Christ was all I had. Now, fortunately, I hope none of us listening end up in a concentration camp, thank God. But when other things in life happen like that, things that we take for granted will come on to health in a minute, but it can be money, it can be anything. Then we realize if we have Christ, that's all we need. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're talking about uncertainty, political, cultural and life uncertainty and how Christians should respond to it. And I'm delighted to have Jeremy Marshall with me. Jeremy, we live in very uncertain times. Uh, the news this week of a unlocking, further unlocking of our economy as we move out of the pandemic, we hope. And yet, on the other hand, uh, news of the spread of the India a variant of the virus and the potential for this unlocking to be halted. Uh, th- these are uncertain times, but you yourself have faced serious uncertainty in the last few years in terms of your personal health tell me how life has been since you were first diagnosed with cancer yeah thanks Tim yes eight years ago I found I had cancer and then six years ago almost to the to the week um, I was told uh, yeah you've got you've had it basically you've got tumors everywhere can't cure you and um, when I asked well how long do you think I've got to live they said well you know never exactly know but 18 months so um yeah, that that tremendous sense of of fear and uncertainty came, yeah, just just from nothing, mm-hmm. and um, I was afraid. Yeah, and I'm I'm still. A, I think as Christians, we have to be honest, right? Death is a terrible enemy, and it's not so much what happens after death; it's the process up to death that's that's fearful. So that's been 
that's been on the one hand really hard. I'm like a walking one man medical disaster zone. If you in Parliament are worried about the NHS, Tim, that's my fault personally. <laughs> I've had 30 chemos, about a dozen operations. I've had heart problems, eye problems, you name it. I'm kind of working my way systematically through the through the medical profession. And yeah, what I've found in that is, as I mentioned, you know, in the earlier part of the show, um, the presence of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And I think that's been an experience of a lot of people in the last year, a lot of Christians, that the darker the valley, the lighter, the, the brighter than the light shines from the Lord Jesus Christ. You've had the opportunity over the last year and a bit, I think I remember you telling me, to do 120 talks online. <laughs> um, and uh, let's be honest, to take advantage of the fact that you've been ahead of a lot of people when it comes to this living with uncertainty uh, and the disruption that the pandemic has brought is, you know, obviously reminiscent, to say the least, of the disruption, the uncertainty in your in your own life. Tell me a little bit about those about those talks and yeah, who you managed you to know, reach out to. God's amazing, Tim, right? I didn't plan it this way. To be honest, I'd rather be back at work, right? Mm. But... Yeah, and I, I'm not quite sure how I ended up doing that. There must be a lot of desperate churches out there that couldn't find anybody else. Anyway, yeah, in the last sort of 16 months, I have done that many talks in places up and down the UK, churches, universities, schools, businesses, lots of businesses as well. And, you know, what's amazing is, Tim, we have something that people want to hear about, which is hope in the face of death. And that, that last year, although in many ways it was terrible, um, it was also a fantastic Christian opportunity, which I think is still continuing because it's made people serious, right? Mm. What do people hear every day? They hear the death toll. They hear the death toll, 800, 1,000, 500, and that makes people think. And we have something really distinctive, really amazing that people are really interested in, which is hope in the face of death. And that's just not a, as you know, I'm a big Watford fan, and I, I hope that Watford got promoted. And indeed, they did, right? Sorry about Blackburn, Tim. Yeah. I'm sure next year will be your year. I doubt but, it. <laughs> but that's not that's not the kind of hope I mean. No, the Christian hope is rooted in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you share that with, with non-Christian friends, which I do also, um, I, I love also to talk about, um, talk about Christ using using one of the Gospels, a thing called Word One-to-One. Um, so whether it's, you know, some people are, are called to do it on, on large groups or whether you do it personally, not everybody, but many, many people I've found in the last year are genuinely interested in what Christians have got to say. Yes, and I think the great uncertainty that people face, obviously we're in the midst of post-Brexit period of time, great political instability, um, the, the issue about nationalism in Scotland and so on. A lot of people listening to this podcast who maybe feel uncertain or distressed about the way the world or the country is going politically. Uh, what do you think the gospel has to say to them about where they should put their hope? I think two things we have to say. One is that God's in control. So there's a great verse in the Psalms. As for me, I trust in you. My times are in your hands. So as Christians, we're immortal till God calls us home, right? I don't mean we should behave recklessly, but we are in the hands of Almighty God. We're not in the hands of blind fate. We're certainly not, thank God, in our own hands. No, we're in his hand. And secondly, what do we have to refer to? We have a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who experienced fear. That's what I love to tell people about. Love to tell people about in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus praying, Father, take this cup away from me. So we have not a remote God, but a God who is at hand, a God who is personal, 
I love to tell people stories in the Bible. I love, a, for example, the widow of Nain. What do we see there? We see Christ with two characteristics. We see his compassion and kindness for people who are afraid and people who are grieving. He's standing in the way of the funeral cortege as a grieving widow is about to bury her dead son. And he touches, he touches the, 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 the stretcher carrying the dead boy. Isn't that amazing? Mm. And it's the same for our friends today. He's standing in their way, especially if we present him, he's, he's absolutely standing in their way. And what's he like? He's full of kindness and compassion. And secondly, he's full of power, power over death because he raises the boy back to life. Now, as Christians, we don't have a bypass around the valley of the shadow of death, right? We have to go through it. But what we can say is that we know one who has defeated death. We can introduce our friends to someone who has the answer to death. Jesus says at the end of the Bible, I have the keys of death and hell. So that that's amazing. And people, does that mean thousands of people are becoming Christians? No. But it means that people, I believe, are, are more open to the claims of the Christian faith than they've been at any time, certainly in my in my lifetime. Jeremy, final question for you, really. As, as, as one who observes both very closely, what do you think is the, the more muckier business, politics or banking? <laughs> I would say politics, actually, yeah. I mean, banking is, is, is mucky because the, the danger is you fall in love with money. Mm. Right. What's banking about? It's about money. Right. So it's a kind of obvious, obvious danger. And, and money in its right place, Tim, can be really useful. You know, I mentioned stewardship, philanthropy, Christians giving money to, to support all kinds of things. Um, and the, the, the flip side of that is then that money becomes an idol. And, and that's true for me as well. And, and for Christians, I didn't go into the city out of love for my fellow human being. I went to make some money. Right. My father was a pastor. He didn't have any money. So in banking, what do we need to do? We need to guard our hearts against the love of money, but not just in banking, in a whole range of professions. And maybe you're in a profession where you think, oh, well, you know, money isn't an issue. OK, then there's some other issue there. Maybe you'll have to speak for that, Tim. In money, maybe it's politics or pride. I don't know. But the devil is a, is a roaring lion, the Bible tells us, going around seeking who, who he may devour. So in our chosen profession, we have to be smart and we have to be wise and we have to be aware of, of danger. Uh, and the danger in, in, in banking is, is the love of money. Jeremy, uh, great wisdom. Absolutely lovely to talk to you. Uh, I'm delighted for you that Watford have got promoted. Um, <laughs> no idea what the future is for Blackburn Rovers, but um, may, may you get the chance. We haven't had the chance to talk about this, but may you get the chance again to speak to the crowd at, uh, uh, at Watford at halftime, which uh, must have been a great honour. It was. All the best, Jeremy, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Tim. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, this is your chance to ask me anything about being a Christian in politics. It could be ethical, political, or even personal. And this week, we've got a question from Richard in Plymouth. Hi, Tim. You said in last week's show some wise words about elections and getting involved as a Christian by voting. You said that in recognising that God is ultimately in control, we should avoid getting too upset when results of elections don't go the way we want. I understand this, but wonder if you can explain how to stay positive when results seem to go towards parties or individuals who act contrary to God's kingdom values. Thank you. Well, it's a great question, Richard. Uh, I mean, if I could be really tongue-in-cheek to start off with, as a Liberal Democrat and a Blackburn Rovers fan, defeat is a way of life, and you either get used to it or you have a terrible, terrible time. Um, but more seriously, I think that it's important for us to remember that Christianity is and always has been countercultural. 
And so whoever is in control of pretty much every society you could ever imagine yourself in ever uh, throughout history, um, to be a follower of Jesus Christ will make you a radical, will make you an outsider, uh, hopefully a gracious one, hopefully one that is able to be on good terms with um, those who think otherwise. But we recognize, don't we, that uh, the Bible ends well, that history ends you know, astonishingly well. Um, and if we're following Jesus Christ, then we are on, dare I say it, the winning side. That doesn't mean that we're complacent or uh, stoic or unmoved by the things that happen in this world. We shouldn't be neutral about injustice. We should care and care deeply, as Jesus clearly demonstrates um, in the New Testament documents. But nevertheless, we are not told or promised um, that we'll get our own way every time politically uh, or in any other way uh, during our time in this life. We are promised something far, far better in eternity and clinging on to that sure and certain hope can help you to deal with even uh, the defeats that some of us have to deal with more often than others. Well, if you'd like to follow Richard and ask me a question for a future week, then please write it in an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we draw to the end of this week's programme, uh, I'd love it if you join me in prayer for a moment or two. Our loving Heavenly Father, we lift up to you Israel and Palestine, and we ask for uh, peace to break out there. Uh, we thank you for the intervention of uh, the Egyptian government and others in seeking to broker a ceasefire. We pray for protection for the most vulnerable, especially uh, that you en enable access to food and clean water and to hospital and other healthcare uh, treatment. We pray for world leaders that they would speak wisely, publicly and privately into this conflict and that you would bring peace to that region and that you would strengthen the believers in the region, uh, those who follow you, um, that Christians would uh, be a bold uh, and unifying witness at this time. And Lord, as we see further unlocking in our country and in other parts of the world, uh, we, we thank you for the vaccine. We thank you um, for the figures which tell us fewer and fewer people being hospitalised in this country. And at the same time, we bring to you our deep anxiety uh, about other strains and viruses in this country and overseas. We especially lift up the people of India to you and pray for healing in your uh, supernatural intervention there. I pray, Lord, that as we deal with this uncertainty as individuals, as families, as a country, we would look to the one who gives us sure and certain hope and permission to have peace in our hearts, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, next week, I'll be joined by Steve Webb, uh, who is my friend and a former Liberal Democrat minister during the coalition years. We'll be talking to him about what it was like working alongside Christians with a completely different set of politics to him in the Conservative Party. I'm Tim Farron. Thank you very, very much for listening. You can listen to the podcast of this programme online by searching for A Mucky Business. Don't forget, if you have any questions you'd like to put to Tim in a future show, email farron at premier.org.uk.